I just got through, uh, read, I read Narnia, Chronicles of Narnia to Olivia, and now we're reading Prince Caspian, and we watched the, the BBC version of Narnia. Has anyone seen the original BBC, 1970s, 80s? It's really charming. It really is. Uh, I watched it when I was a kid, and uh, great costumes. It's just a great movie. I think it stands up to the Disney one, personally. I like puppets. I don't like CG stuff. I like that. Um, but in that book that we read together, uh, someone the, the, the type of the, the, the character that's supposed to be God is Aslan. It's a, it's a, a fable, an analogy for God. And, some, and so C.S. Lewis, being a theologian who talks about God, he uses this book to teach about God. And, and really, this, this type of literature is great for that because, because God is incomprehensible, fundamentally. Uh, you can teach things about God in these, in these different images that you can't always get from just a textbook kind of situation. And uh, one of the characters, I forget which, maybe it was Peter, says, uh, you know, is Aslan safe? And, and, uh, and the response is, he's not safe, but he's good. He's wild. He is his own being. But he's good, and he's loving. And you see in this book, uh, this mysterious uh, creature, Aslan, uh, show this picture about God to us. You know, God is not safe or confined to our little boxes, but God is good. God has revealed himself through Christ. And Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And when you look at Jesus and the stories about Jesus, you see God in human form. You see a translation of God that we can understand. Looking at God, uh, it's, it blows our minds. But God so loved the world that he became incarnate in Christ. And, and he showed us all, this is what God is like in human form. It's like a filter, you know? It's like, uh, like uh, Jesus, it says in Philippians, he emptied himself, was found in appearance as a man. And he experienced life as we do. And, and we, see the, we see Jesus in Jesus when we read of him, what God is like. What is God like when his best friend dies? We see that in Jesus. What is God like when someone wrongs him? We see that in Jesus. What is God like when he's a leader? We see that in Jesus. So if you're a leader and you want to be like God, you take, the, take on the mantle of a servant. That's what God does. More importantly, what is God like in response to human sin and brokenness? Which is, um, while we were dead in our sins, while we weren't looking after God, in fact, while we were still enemies of God, uh, and, and cursing his face. God, what is God like in that situation? Well, he becomes incarnate in Christ. He takes on the punishment that's due for our sin on himself so that we can be restored in relationship to him. That's what God is like. It's, it's incomprehensible what we see glimpses of who God is. And it's a beautiful thing. God isn't safe. God isn't neat and tidy. But God is good. God is at work in our friends, and our family members, in those nights when we just can't sleep and God is calling us to pray, those are good times. Take hold of God. Take hold of him. We worry about being hungry or tired. We worry about what we will eat, what we will drink, what we will wear. 
That's in the Bible, isn't it? But only one thing is needful. Um, our relationship with God, our seeking after him, he will give us a hundredfold just if we just engage with him. If we stay up during that night and pray. And I had my first real experience of praying without ceasing this past year. The closer of a friendship I developed with Alan, the more I pray, which I really like. I love my, love my friends at church who pray and, and encourage me. But uh, when you just can't sleep and something's so on your heart, bring it before the Father. When I first came to Christ, some of you know my, my story, but I'll kind of reveal myself to you. I, I had grown up in a Christian household with wonderful parents. Uh, we went to a church where at the time it was a very difficult place to find Christ, uh, which, which sounds like a, you know, a terrible thing, you know, being in a church and not being able to find Christ. And that's the experience many of you have had, right? And that's why it's so hard to, for people to come to God when, when they've gone to the place where he's supposed to be, but they can't find him there. They think, he must not be there. <laughs> he's not around. Um, some of these, these issues people have coming to God. But I, I grew up in this church, and by all accounts, it was a difficult place to find Christ. The pastor was a young pastor at a seminary, and he really had a desire for his people to be holy and know, know God, which is an honorable thing. But um, I think he used his teaching in such a way as to try to kind of um, scare people into it. Like, you better behave or else. You understand that? And so, as good, as good as his intentions were, his methods alienated me, certainly, from God. And, and, I, and I always have believed that God exists. I've never had a time in my life where I didn't think God existed. But, uh, and so, with this sense of God, um, of, of being irreconcilable before God as a teenager, like, I can't come to God because I'm not holy, especially when you're a teenager. <laughs> you know, it's just, you're, you're already going crazy inside, and then you feel like you can't come to God. Uh, all of that kind of combined, and I got very depressed, because I believed God in God, but this God was terrifying to me, right? And uh, later, just so you know, I'm not making all this stuff up, you know, a few years ago, this pastor, who's gone on to continue to minister, uh, he came for the anniversary celebration of the church where I grew up. And he apologized to the congregation for how he led. Because that's what you do when you're a Christ-like person. Like, I, I, I high-fived to him. Like, he recognized that his methods, his heart was in the right place, but his methods were off. But that was something that was hard for me. And, and uh, when, I came, when I came to New Life in 2001, uh, we had Pastor Bo here at the time. And he was, I always joked around with Bo. I said, your messages are always either about grace or surrender. Or the third type, which is grace and surrender. And he's like, that's right. That's all, my, that's, all I, that's all I'm about. Every sermon, didn't matter what the text was, grace, surrender, or grace and surrender, which I love him for. So what a great place for me to be. I came to Christ in a dramatic fashion as a young man uh, in, in the first church service I attended at New Life because all of a sudden, all of this weight and depression I felt about being alienated from God was lifted by the gospel. And so I, I, I received grace, this idea that 
um, the worst sinner that we can, in our eyes, uh, Jesus died for that person. And that person can come directly to God through Jesus Christ, just as much as the person who perhaps was sheltered and in church their whole life, all that kind of stuff, just as easily as that person can, because it's about the merits of Christ, not about our behavior. As a 13-year-old, yes and amen to that. That was really, really helpful to me. And actually, taking hold of that truth took the pressure off of me, uh, and it lifted, it lifted such a burden that I found myself in my sin, like, like not being stuck in sin anymore, the way I was. Because something about, the way that Bo said it was, think about it like this. Um, there, there's a final exam of your life, and Jesus took it, and he got an A++, 100% with extra credit. And, and, and he gives that grade to you now. And your whole life is about learning the lessons that, you, that give you the answers to that test. So he looked at it as, you know, the Bible says, through, G, through one sacrifice, we've been made, Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. It's a really interesting concept. So you have this idea like, we're here, 100% forgiven and free in Christ. We're, we're already made holy, but we're being made perfect through our life. Like there is... There is repentance that's needed. There is turning from sin that's needful. Uh, we, we need to turn and then walk and learn those lessons. But the test ultimately has been taken and passed by Jesus. Uh, no one can be saved by their, by their works. We're saved by grace. So this is a great message. But God brought, God's brought me into different levels in my life. That I, I've had the extremes. I've had ultra-law-based, so we preach on the Ten Commandments. Every week you realize why you can never please God. That's what my upbringing was. And then the new level is, I'm free. But like Paul says, so does that mean that we should use our freedom to indulge in sin? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live it any longer? So that third, so I've had these two extremes, and what God has brought me into in my maturity as a Christian is, is living with reverence to God for who God is and his holiness. So that's, that's reverence. That's, that's, the Bible uses this word fear. He's not safe, but he's good. Living with reverence towards God, but also living with friendship with God. And that song we sang today, I am a friend of God, he calls me friend. It's a beautiful truth, but a good friend of God is reverent towards God. They're inseparable. So we live, you know, we do change, we do live, we do move um, into these different levels. And the more we understand of who God is and what God is asking of us in terms of our holiness, the closer we're going to be to God. And we're still, of course, freed by grace. We're not earning our salvation, but we're, we're walking in a greater depth with God than ever before. I have a two-part message I'm going to share with you once this week, one next week. It became a two-part message just a few minutes ago. You guys like that, right? And now for hour four. (laughs) Message one. The holiness of God. The friendship and the fear. God is not safe, but God is good. I'm going to bring you to um, a teaching from 2 Samuel 6, 1 to 8. So this is when the Ark of the Covenant is being brought back to Jerusalem. 
And the Ark of the Covenant is the box which God gave to his people, which contained the Ten Commandments. It contained some of the manna that the Israelites had been given, and it also had the, the staff that had sprouted, the Aaron that, and Moses had, uh, in that box. And it was a reminder of what God had done in his people in, in setting them free from Egypt and slavery. And, they were, and, and David is kind of the, the anointed king who is restoring the ark to the temple. And so they're triumphant, triumphantly taking this box with them, which is a holy box at the time. And this box, normally, the Ark of the Covenant, would be located in the Holy of Holies. And you have to understand, there was the holy place in the temple, physically, and then there was the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was a place that no one could go except for the high priest, and only once a year on Yom Kippur, uh, on the Day of Atonement, once a year, and tradition says that they tied a rope around the poor guy's ankle so they could drag him out if in case he got struck down by God in there because he hadn't atoned for his sins properly. There was a procedure. God was teaching his people something. You can worship me. You can make sacrifices for your sins, all these different things. But make no mistake about it. I'm not safe. I am a consuming fire. So he instructed them to act with reverence towards this holy of holies. And this box that had the presence of God in it really represented that. So there were certain guidelines. In Numbers 4.15, God says, Do not touch the holy things, because if you do, you will die. Straight up. That's very clear instruction. I'm thankful for that. It's like, do not touch the live wire, because if you do, you will die. Right? You're going to be electrocuted and fried. Uh, Numbers 7-9. God tells them how to carry the Ark of the Covenant. It's very specific. Gold rings, rods through the rings. You have the, uh, the priesthood folks carry this thing. That's how you do it. Uh, so, fast forward. After these instructions had been given, it's all very clear. The, the temple had been vacated, and I, won't, I can't go into all the history because we, we only have two minutes left. But this box, the Ark of the Covenant, this holy box, ended up in, in 2 Samuel 6.3, in Aminadab's house. And he was part of the priesthood. And uh, Aminadab's household contained his sons, Uzzah and Ahio, and uh, they, they had kind of gotten used to this covenant box in the house, this holy box. But imagine that, like this, this, this box that was in the Holy of Holies, now it's in someone's house. And I think that um, Uzzah and his brother, who ended up uh, helping to transport the ark for David, got pretty used to it being there. I, my imagination kind of ran wild. Maybe it was like an end table, you know? I don't know. I don't know what they, did they, you know, I don't know what they did with it, but it was in the house. I'm hoping they had it like in a room by itself, at least. But this is a holy box. Clear instructions. Don't touch it or you will die. Carry it on poles with rings. But God understood, because God understands. At this time, it has to be in someone's house. Not ideal. I would have personally gotten a storage unit for that one. I mean, I wouldn't... (laughs) Reverence, though. Reverence. The Holy of Holies. The box. David gets all excited. 
He's bringing the ark to Jerusalem, restoring it from Aminadab's house, Ohio and um, Uzzah. Are, are helping transport this thing. David, again, brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim of the Ark. That's serious business, people. They set the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Aminadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ohio sons of Aminadab, were guiding the new cart with the Ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, worshiping with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the Ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down, and he died there beside the Ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah, which means outbreak against Uzzah. So it's a really sad story because they're worshiping God, they're rejoicing in what he's done, but they have not given reverence to the ark of the Lord. They've made a new cart for it, which is against the word of God. And because of this new cart configuration, it shook, and you know, you think if an ox is pulling something, it can tip over a rock. When people are carrying on a pole, that's not going to happen. You can make, you can accommodate if you misstep. So they did, they did the wrong thing twice, and Uzzah got the consequence. And David was mad at God because he thought, Uzzah's a great guy. Why did you do that, God? Well, God is not safe. God is good. God is a friend of ours, and God was a friend of David. He was a man after God's own heart. And God was pleased with many of the things that were going on. But that box was a holy box. And you were not to touch it. You were to carry it with poles. And the analogy that God's given me is that we become so comfortable. You know, and I'm, tell, I'm, I'm, I'm realizing I can do spiritual damage to you by sharing these things with you because I grew up in a church where I felt like I couldn't come to God because he was too good for me and, and too holy. And I could never amount to anything with him. I could never come to him. And God changed, changed my mind on that. Um, and he, he, he delivered me from that into this more balanced relationship. But at this, as we are walking with God in this grace in which we now stand, we need to realize that God is still holy. And you know what my personal perspective is in my life. God, it says in Hebrews, God disciplines those he loves and punishes or chastens those he accepts as sons. So God does discipline us in our life. You know, he's walking with us. He's teaching us through consequences and different things. God disciplines us. And whenever I get into a time when I'm walking in sin, and I don't mean sinning like, you know, I sin and I repent and I'm done with it. I walk in sin. You know the difference? Walking in sin is different. And I've walked in sin. And you've walked in sin. Whenever I get into that place... The thing that usually turns me around is remembering that God is holy, that God has been merciful, and that I need to repent because my God, though he is good, though he is merciful, though he's given me all this grace, he is a consuming fire. And God disciplines the one he loves. And if I don't want to fall underneath the discipline of the Lord, I need to take his, him seriously as, as a real force and power with which I have to live. 
What he's done for me on the cross was not inexpensive. It was not cheap. It was costly. But many of us Christians, we, we can get very comfortable, so comfortable with the grace of God that we almost have a mentality of, I'm never going to be perfect. I'll keep walking in these ways. I'll be saved when I die. Even Christians. But that's not God's will for us. And so the message this morning, part one, and there's a part two next week, that you have to come now. You have to come now. Part one is, remember, it's not an end table. It's not something to stick knickknacks on top of. The salvation God's purchased for you is not something to be treated lightly. God is love. God is powerful. Um, there is a friendship and there is an awe and a reverence that we must have as, as mature Christians if we are going to walk with God beyond the milk stages to the meat stages. So the challenge this week for all of us is to live in light of God's holiness and to take, take, uh, take our walk more seriously. Because God is good, but God is, and like any good father, God disciplines the ones he loves. So listen to the discipline of God, whether he is convicting you about a particular sin pattern in your life, whether you are seeing consequences, natural consequences, or even other types of things that you can't really explain in your life. You know, listen to God and walk in God. Because when you're in God, you're so safe. The Bible says that being in Christ is like being in a portable bomb shelter, even though they didn't have those back then. A mighty fortress is our God. A portable fortress that we walk around with. To the one that is walking with God, uh, there is nothing that can harm that person. You know, they are safe in God. But it's very dangerous stepping outside of God in his presence. Um, Because when we walk away from the will of God, we're exposing ourselves uh, to, to... any, any a number of things. So living with friendship, living with reverence, those two things have to be held in this tension. It's so often not one or the other. It's not either grace or holiness. It's not. It's both and. God's given us grace so that we might become holy. God's taken the test for us and aced it so that we can learn the lessons. And those who really want to know God have to live in light of the friendship and the fear God is not safe, but God is good. God is love. Let me pray for you as we are dismissed. Heavenly Father, you are are good, you are righteous, you are holy, you are patient, you are faithful. These are all names I know you by personally because I can think back to years of my personal unfaithfulness. And I can see how faithful you were to me. You have been merciful and kind. Help us to live in light of of your majesty and your holiness. Help us to revere your presence in our lives, that we might be a church that can contain more of it. We want more of you. And whatever that takes for us, we want to walk in that to get more of you. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for the cross through, through, what, through which all of us
are forgiven, are reconciled, are covered, are safe. Let us walk in a manner that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name.